Hey, it's Pastor Mike. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to encourage you to check out our other Time of Grace podcasts, like this one, The Non-Microwave Truth by C.L. Whiteside. C.L. just has an amazing way to bring fresh perspective to some of my favorite passages from the Bible. I want you to stay all the way to the end of this episode to hear more about The Non-Microwave Truth by C.L. Whiteside. And now on to today's episode. I think what Jesus would say to us, do we still love I think he would say, yes, but be careful. The older a church gets and the bigger a church grows, the tougher it is for people to feel loved. Uh, I was looking to improve my, my skills as a public speaker, since I obviously do a lot of public speaking, and I reached out to a friend who was an expert in the subject. He had spent most of his career uh, training people for public speaking. He had written an amazing book on the subject, and, and asked him if he would help me out, and, and he agreed to do it. And so he sat down in front of his laptop. He watched a, a sermon that I had recently preached. He watched it again. He took notes. And then he emailed me his judgment, what he thought was good, what he thought could use some improvement, the, the strengths, the weaknesses. And when I opened the attachment and I printed it out, what I found was this. I didn't blow up the font on this before I printed it. Not one or two or 10 or 20 or 40, but 50 pages of presentation observation feedback. <laughs> he dismantled me. <laughs> He counted in a single sermon every time I said the word um, uh, ah, uh, like, you know, and gave me the total amount. Uh, he, he talked about the strengths of my presenting and the things, yeah, you, you probably don't want to do that again. He noticed the words I used, the pauses I did or did not take, the inflection of my voice, and if it matched what I was trying to communicate. He, he told me what people subconsciously think when you do this or you do this, or you stand like this, or your arms are crossed, or they're like this. He talked about where I would look, how long eye contact would last, everything you could possibly think about, he told me. So here's my question. How would you feel <laughs> if you opened an attachment of judgment and it was 50 pages long? Uh, terrified, insecure, um, nervous, before you answer, um, here's what you should know. Before I opened the attachment, I knew something about my friend Jason. I knew that he was for me. He wasn't some internet troll. He wasn't some comment section critic. Uh, he wasn't some bully from the local school. This was a guy who loved Jesus, loved me, loved our church, love this ministry. And so every single word that he would send me, wh whether it stung or put wind in my sails, every word of judgment was for me. And that's probably the best way that I can describe what happens in the part of scripture we're going to study today. 
In the beginning of the book of Revelation, chapters two and three, we find seven separate letters that Jesus wanted sent to seven real pastors and seven real churches. And what we find in those letters is comprehensive and categorical and thorough and specific. It's good, it's bad, it's ugly, it's everything. But as we listen to these words, we should remember this, that whatever Jesus says to us, he is for us. And I really hope as you study these words today and in the weeks to come, you start to believe that about the church. That if we are quoting the words of Jesus, whether it encourages us or convicts us, it's always for us. Jesus loves the church. He loves me as a pastor. He loves you as one of his followers. And whatever he says to you, it's for you. He wants you to be the best, strongest, most peaceful, fruitful, gentle, compassionate, faithful, content, satisfied Christian on the planet. So let me tell you this. Whatever we are about to find in the Bible, uh, don't be afraid because it is for you. Now, before I open the book and we jump into the first letter, uh, let me just ask you this question. What do you think Jesus would say about us? Like if... If you're watching at home and this isn't your home congregation, maybe you can think about the place that you last worshipped. But just think for a second, if he was here, and like my friend Jason, he was taking comprehensive notes about me and you and our strengths and our weaknesses, what, what do you think he would say? What would he applaud so much that you'd almost blush that Jesus was being so nice? And what would he say that you kind of knew deep in your heart had enough truth to it that you kind of broke eye contact and, and slowly nodded? What, what would Jesus say? Now, starting today and for the next few weeks, we're going to think deeply about that question because as much as I love our church right now, I love the thought of what our church could become. If we take whatever this is right now and with the help of the Holy Spirit, we are full of more grace and more truth, and more love, and more hospitality, and more generosity. Can you imagine being part of a church like that? We're showing up on Sunday. It wasn't a have to, and I'm supposed to, and I guess the Bible says I really should, but it was a get to, and a want to, and I can't wait to, and is it Sunday yet? Mom and dad, is it Sunday yet? Dad, is it Sunday yet? Like, imagine being part of a church like that. That's what Jesus wants for us for every gathering around this book in his name. So let's start on that path together as we open up our Bibles to Revelation chapter 2. And we're going to study today the words that Jesus wanted spoken to a first century church in the metropolitan city of Ephesus. Chapter begins with these words. To the angel of the church in Ephesus write... These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, last week we learned this incredible truth that Jesus walks among the seven golden lampstands. That was a a symbolic way of saying that he walks among churches just like this one. And here Jesus adds that he also holds in his hand the seven stars, 
which Revelation chapter one said were the seven angels of the seven churches. And and that's why here in verse one, he says to the angel of the church in Ephesus, here's what you should write. The angel of the church. What do you think that means? Um, Actually, let, let me give you a hand. Did you know when you walked into this church today, there was an angel here? And on the count of three, I want you to point to it. Okay? Even if you have to totally guess, I need everyone to put up a pointer finger right now. On the count of three, you're going to make your best guess to find the angel of the church. Ready? One, two, three, point. Some dude sitting with his girlfriend in the back like, right here. <laughs> That's a boss move, right? No, the, the correct answer would be, there's an angel. And here's an angel. And before you think I'm getting a big head, let, let me explain. Um, the word that we translate angel, the Greek word angelos, literally means messenger. In fact, the footnote in my Bible says angels or messengers. We normally think of angels as heavenly messengers who come down from God, but the word can also be applied to earthly messengers who lead churches, like pastors. That's probably the interpretation that makes sense here, since in a few verses, Jesus is going to say to this angel, repent and change your ways, which is something a holy angel would never have to hear. This is maybe a sermon just for, for me and this guy over here, but how crazy is it that Jesus holds pastors like us in his right hand. Like, you and I are not just two in a million. We're individual people that Jesus holds right here. We can talk about that later. Because I want to talk to the rest of you. Uh, Jesus has a lot to say to this pastor and to his church. And he starts with some really good news. Uh, Grab a pen and write this down. The good that Jesus is about to say to this church is this, that they were filled with lots and lots and lots and lots of truth. The truth of the word of God, the church at Ephesus had tons of it. Let me show you the proof. In verse 2, Jesus says, "I I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you've tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Verse 6, he adds, and you have this in your favor, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. So do you think Jesus would say the same thing to us? 2,000 years later, other side of the planet, uh, different culture, different times, would he say that we are the kind of church that is passionate about this truth even though it costs us? Um, I got an answer to that question last week when an 18-year-old from our church wanted to meet me for coffee. She had just finished high school and was just a few months away from leaving for her freshman year at an out-of-state college. But she didn't want to talk to me about her major or tuition or her roommate. She wanted to talk to me about church. She wanted, as, as soon as she got on campus, to find a church. 
Like, even if mom wasn't there, even if dad wasn't there, even if she didn't have to, even if she wouldn't get in trouble or, or lectured by her parents, she wanted to stay rooted and connected to the word of God. And what I was thinking in my heart was, yes. But, but then the best part, uh, she pulled out her phone and she said, Pastor, I was looking at all the churches closest to my dorm and I found this one and this one and this one and this one. And so I jumped onto their websites and I opened the About Us tab where it says what we believe and what we stand for. And it seems like this church is really great at this and this and this and this and this, but I'm not so sure about that. And this other church is really amazing, but it doesn't have a lot of information. And she flipped her phone around and she slid it across the table and she said, what do you think? And I didn't say it out loud, but I thought, yes! You're <laughs> 18! What was I thinking when I was 18? She wasn't asking about the music or the style. She wasn't saying, is the pastor a dynamic speaker or is he funny? She wasn't asking, does the church have a lot of people of my demographic? What did she care about more than anything else? The thing that Jesus cares about more than anything else. Truth. She wanted it tested. She wanted it vetted. Because she didn't want to be a, a Christian who gave in to convenience and had only half of the truth. She wanted all of it. And we couldn't hear Jesus' voice, but I think he said that day, Amen. But did you know that Jesus doesn't just care about the truth? A passage in John chapter 1 says that Jesus was full of grace and truth. He was filled up to the top with love and truth. And that, that was the problem with the church at Ephesus. Good doctrine, for sure. Good deeds? Write down the problem that Jesus saw in this church. He said the bad part about the Ephesians was that they had so little love. Look at Jesus' words. He starts in verse 4. He says to the pastor, Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Our church has become like the couple who gets married and has five kids. Parents, you get this? Like, I still love you. <laughs> I'm just really busy right now. <laughs> right? It's, it's different and it's grown and, and we've invested in ministries and, and programs and, and I think I could be wrong. I think what Jesus would say to us, do we still love? I think he would say, yes, but be careful. The older a church gets and the bigger a church grows, the tougher it is for people to feel loved. Right? Little country church of 20 where we all know each other's names, it's easy to feel that. 
a mega church of 2,000, even a, a church of 200, it's, it's much more difficult to feel that. Just like a, a married couple with kids, it is more work and it takes more intentionality because love doesn't just naturally happen. You have to strive for it. And so I'm not so sure that Jesus would say to us what he said to the Ephesians, repent or else your church is done. I, I don't think we're there. But I think you and I need to be very careful. If God continues to bless this church or the church that you attend at home with growth, we will need to be very specific about the way we love each other. So let me give you three specific ways. How can we, if God decides to grow this church, maintain the level of our love? Number one, when you come here on Sunday, think you first. Do you know what happens at like old, aging, dying, crotchety conversations? Um, congregations, excuse me, not conversations. <laughs> crotchety conversations. Sorry, all right, back, back, back on track. Um, I think that churches start to die when its members start to think, me first. Where do I want to sit? Where do I want to park? When do I want to arrive? What's my favorite service time? What are the programs that I like? Me first in any relationship is what leads to a mess and to death. And so when you come to this church, when you step on this campus, I, I am begging you to think you first. It's not about you. We love you, but it's not about you. It's about the, the person who's sitting one row ahead of you, who's here for the first time, they don't know anyone, and the church is big enough that they're going to slip through the cracks unless you do something about it. And I know a bunch of you are introverts, and I know it makes you very uncomfortable, but let me repeat, it's not about you. <laughs> There's a reason that those who serve coffee and usher and greet at our church wear big, bright shirts that say, you first. <laughs> and you and I need to go out of our way and get out of our comfort zone to come to church early, to stay a little bit late, not to sit in our own private section, but to find someone who's sitting alone, invade their space, and love them. Because even if they don't tell you it in the moment, everyone wants to be loved. Most of us feel uncomfortable with small talk, but no one gets to real talk until they get through the small talk. So come to this church and think, you first. How can I meet him? How can I meet her? That kid's looking at his phone in the lobby. How can I start a conversation? Will it be awkward? For sure. Great churches are filled with awkwardness. Right. Thank you first. And we won't fall from this love. Number two. A church of this size means that you and I and all of us need a group. You need 10 people who worship with you who know everything about you and love you just the same. Honestly, the, the hardest part for me emotionally about being a pastor right now is that, is that I struggle just to remember everyone's names. Right? I, I know how meaningful that is when the pastor knows your name and I, just, I can't keep up with the people and the members and the guests, multiple pastors, services. I, I wish I could. I'm, I'm trying. I can't. 
but you need someone who knows way more than your name. They need to know how to pray for you, how to encourage you. Your blind spots, your sins, your addictions, your gifts. And the bigger this church gets, like, I don't expect you to know everyone's name. It would be a miracle if you could, but I, I need you to be known by 10 people. And you can do that through, like, our official life group studies. You, you can connect with other people in an unofficial way. But when a church gets big, it needs to be small. So you first when you come here. Find people to do life without there. And then finally, if we want to maintain our love, all of us got to go. To me, the second key indicator of a church that, that dies is when most of its people don't invite anyone to church in a given year. Right? It kind of proves it's just about me and my comfort and I like the music and I get something out of the message and if my neighbor doesn't go to heaven, whatever. No, when you and I care deeply enough to pray, to invest, to invite, to have someone watch the show with us, watch the game with us, grill out with us. When we invite them to the next sermon series, the next Sunday, you, you should come and sit with me. Like the, the more percentage of us that, that do that, that care about that, that pray for that, my, my dream as a pastor is that one day the prayer requests on the back of the communication cards, as much as we pray about physical needs, the cancer, the surgery, we would double that in spiritual needs. Pastor, pray for my brother, my roommate, my best friend. They don't know Jesus. Pray for an open door. Pray for courage. Pray for the words. Pray for the spirit to convict them. Because at the end of the day, what happens with our bodies is so short. But what happens with our souls is forever. So, if my analysis is right, we are a church that cares about the truth, that does love, and I pray that we can take these words to heart, as hard as they might be to hear that the love we experience today would not just continue, but would increase in the years to come. And if you need help with that, here's Jesus. He says in the final words of our text, whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. All right, grab both your ears right now. You got two of them? No Vincent Van Gogh's out there? All right. If you got ears, open them up. <laughs> Because the Holy Spirit's about to speak. He says, To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. You don't think you can. <laughs> Listen to what the Spirit is saying to you. You don't think you can overcome or change. To the one who is victorious, Jesus says, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life. That's a, that's a fancy way of saying you're going to live forever. You're going to be one day in a place that is so full of grace and so full of truth, your soul will almost explode. So let's start practicing now. You and I are going to spend forever and ever and ever and ever with one another, loving each other better than we ever imagined possible. So let's start now. And Jesus said, I will give you a bite of the fruit that will allow you to conquer death and live forever. I will give you an all-access pass. The angels won't stop you this time. They will say, come and be with God. This Jesus lived for us. 
He died to forgive every sin of every member of our church, of of every human who has ever lived, and now he lives to help us. To become the kind of place when people walk through the doors, they say, what? What is this? (laughs) I mean, the, the, the free coffee, amazing. The love freely given. Who comes to a place where the pastor yells at you and tells you to change and stop it? And then he shakes your hand and he loves you like no one else in town. What is this? And we'd say, Christianity. (laughs) Full of grace. Full of truth. And I pray with Jesus' help and the power of his spirit, you and I can be just like that. Let's pray. Uh, Dear Jesus, thank you so much for being here. Thank you that our church is not beneath you. Um, Thank you that even though we struggle with so many things and it's so hard to be compassionate and courageous, you have not given up on us. You hold the pastors of this church in your mighty right hand and you have promised to be with us always to the very end of the age. Um, Today, God, I I thank and honor you for the founders of this church. Um, They started with a passion not just to do religion and go through the motions, but with a sincere desire to seek you, to know your love, and to let the people of this community experience just a glimpse of that love. And now, Father, I'm, I'm begging for your Holy Spirit to produce even more love in us. Things have changed and years have passed, but, but I pray we would be just as motivated and just as driven to love each other, to love this community, and especially to love you. Uh, Jesus, thank you for your grace. Uh, thank you for every time we mess this up or get stuck or go through the motions. You are there to forgive us, to cleanse us, and to empower us to try again. And now I'm asking you, with all humility and boldness, do great things. More than we expect or imagine, do great things in us and through us. We ask you to seize us all in your powerful name. And God's people said, amen. Do you find Jesus really interesting but kind of confusing? Maybe today you sense that God is working on your heart and giving you a new excitement about the things of the Christian faith, but you're not quite sure what to do next. If so, you're exactly the kind of person that I wrote this brand new book for called The Basics. Uh, It's not AP Bible, and it's not going to answer every question you have about Christianity, but it's going to get you back to the basics of why Jesus is worth following today and for the rest of your life. If you're interested, just go to timeofgrace.org to download your free copy. People all around the world are hungry for a good life. A life that you and I know can only be found in the good news of Jesus Christ. That's why it's such an honor and a privilege as Christians to share this good news with all the nations around the world. But have you ever thought of this? The good news only sounds good if you can understand it. God is love or Jesus forgives you is amazing news if you speak English. (laughs) But if you don't, then it's just words that you don't quite get. This is why I'm so excited about a brand new challenge grant. Some amazing friends of Time of Grace have offered a $140,000 challenge grant, meaning that your gift is going to go twice as far to reach twice as many people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Here's just one example of what we're doing here at Time of Grace. We're currently working with a Brazilian missionary living in Croatia who's translating the gospel that we share at Time of Grace into Brazilian Portuguese so that people who don't speak English can celebrate the same good news that we do. Remember his mission? Preach the good news to all creation. 
One day we're going to gather around the throne of Jesus with people from all over who speak all different languages and yet we share this one faith that Jesus is King and he gives us life to the full. To thank you for your financial gift towards our $140,000 challenge grant, Pastor Mike would like to send you a book he co-wrote with his pastoral colleagues called Letters from Jesus. In this new book, you'll discover how the letters from Jesus to the early church, found in the early chapters of the book of Revelation, still speak clearly to your life today. Request yours when you give to our $140,000 challenge grant by calling 800-661-3311, visit timeofgrace.org, write us at P.O. Box 301, Milwaukee, Wisconsin, 53201. Thanks for making it all the way to the end. I promise you a quick look at another podcast from Time of Grace that I think you'll like. It's a really fresh look at the Bible from my brother in Christ, C.L. Whiteside. But rather than listen to me again, here's a sample clip from C.L. himself. Enjoy, and I'll see you next week. And God doesn't need or want our help in a lot of these cases. And on this episode of Bad Promises, I want you constantly to be thinking throughout this episode, are the promises that you make to people or the promises that you make to God or the vows that you make, are those God-pleasing promises and vows? Like, are these good promises or bad promises? Because we, we all have made some good promises and we've all made some really bad promises. Oh, and how could I forget? Most of the crazy promises and vows that we make are to ourselves. So, yeah, definitely be thinking about that throughout this episode. Join me as we search for the non-microwave truths, the truths that oftentimes go against our culture, and not those truths that are undercooked or nuked, or bottom line, you can just say messed up, because of our culture's fascination and goal to microwave the process. Search the non-microwave truth on Spotify or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts.